going on, good people? Another Monday, clocking in, <laughs> clocking out. We, we clocked out of our of our day gigs. Now we doing our thing on the, on the night side, and uh, that means Monday night means for myself. Kyle means War Media editorial director, and uh, on the side of me you see. Uh, Again, like he, you know, he usually is not playing any games. The bad man himself, <laughs> Joe Tanksley. What's going uh, on? Yeah, man, what's going on? Riding with me, uh, riding shotgun with me this time. Uh, uh, Drew, I, I gave Drew the day off, but he's actually going to be on with me tomorrow. I'm doing like, doing a little different this week, doing like uh, two Monday Night Mean shows, essentially. I'm doing... One on on a Tuesday, so it's gonna be uh, Monday night means on the going Tuesday. up on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. I'm doing uh, because I'm kind of spreading out some things, you know, some things that I want to uh, get involved with this week, and uh, you know, taking it easy with the uh, usually do the runner with war shows on Tuesday, but um, you know, take it easy with that this week. But uh, tonight we got a pretty good show lined up. You know, along with Joe, we're gonna talk. Some uh football, some you know, some bears stuff. Not I ain't gonna go too deep on the bears this week, but <laughs> uh some bears, some NFL, and um I got a couple guests, of course. One that's familiar should be familiar to you, my man Chris Pennant is gonna come through uh at the top of the hour to talk about uh you know, he, he went out to New York and, and saw the Bulls live in both of their games last week against the Knicks and the Nets. So, you know, okay. definitely wanna hear him talk about that trip. And, uh, you know, he may be a good luck charm for him. You know, they was able to pull out both of them games. So, you know, uh, we, we have to, I might we might have to get a budget up and uh, start sending them out to all the road games or something, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Chris, like I said, Chris going to be in in a minute. And uh, the Bulls, you no know, Bulls themselves are going to be uh, tipping off in a minute uh, against Denver uh, at, the, at the UC. And, um also, I'm going to have a uh, first-time guest on uh, towards the end of the show, uh, about seven, about seven thirty. A uh, writer for uh, covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated and their uh, their their online network. Uh, Mr. Pat Regard, oh, let me make sure I get this right. <laughs> Wait, let me get this. What happened to this page? Uh, give me a second. Yeah, Pat Regazzo. Pat Regazzo is going to be uh, get, coming on with us. Like I say, towards the end of the show, he covers. Like I say, covers the Mets uh, for Sports Illustrated. You know, the Mets went wild with their uh, free agent signings before the the lockout. But you know, I want to get Pat on to talk about lockout itself. And, you know, because I've been wanting to get somebody on to talk about that and uh, see, you know, what kind of type of impact it's going to have on baseball and could it bleed over into the regular season and, and uh, 2022 and all that. But, uh, you know, whenever they do get going again, you know, you had all these teams that signed a bunch of players. Uh, you know, the Sox, you know, weren't too active. I mean, uh, they, only brought, they only brought back the legend, literally. Garcia yeah. and they yeah. sat a reliever. Uh, I think is is a Kinder Braverman, Braverman or yeah. Braverman. You yeah, know. he did this thing with Houston last year. But uh, 
I mean, a solid, solid pickup. You know, I'm glad that they were able to keep Lurie, but you know, not the big splashes that you were hoping uh, that a team on the cusp of trying to win a championship would make. So yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, I wasn't very. What's the word? As a Sox fan, a diehard Sox fan, I wasn't very moved by any of the things that they did. <laughs> right, they didn't. They didn't light up the uh, the the hot stove uh, as it is so far. You know, I don't know how much time there's going to be after the lockout to to sign others. But you know, when you look at teams who did, you know, put in a lot of work, like I said, the Mets. Like the Rangers, you know, a couple mm-hmm. other teams, mostly teams. The, the Rangers, the Rangers went went ahead. I, you know, I, I thought the Rangers were a lot further away than to to than. But they are. Know. But they. But the, they, with they, the additions that they made, though, they made some big boy additions. Yeah, man, which which kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, that's yeah, the, I'm like some ass pat about that too. Like what, you know? Of course, there's the money, but you know. Some of these, some of these big name players, like like the Rangers, like you look at a cat like Marcus Simeon. I know a lot of people wanted to see him possibly come back to the White Sox, but he, you know, he goes down to uh to Texas, and uh you know, I, I say you as good as they they better as as improved as they look right now. I don't, I still don't know if they're going to be on the level of the White Sox or the uh, the Houston or you know. Those those type of teams, you know, going forward. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's on him, man. If, if, you know, I think, you know, if, if, I, I guess I say he wants to max out his 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 earning potential. Definitely, yeah, but he also had right. a chance to, you know, get on a team that could win next year. So, yeah, you know, the, the Cubs surprised me too with the pickup of of Marcus Stroman. Yeah, um, the Cubs. The Cubs. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of Marcus Stroman. So I'm, I'm yeah. happy. He's in Chicago, you know, and he's just on the wrong side of the town. I would have loved to see how uh, Tim Anderson and Strowman got along with one another, both very real dudes. Um, but it's good to have a real dude on the south, uh, on the on the north side too. Um, and so, but uh, I, I, I was surprised by that move by the Cubs as well. That's that's a similar situation where the Cubs are a team that's far away. Supposed to be rebuilding, but they they put some money up. They got him, got um, got that guy Clint Frazier, a couple other guys. So yeah, it's and they still may be in the market for some other folks too. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, they say that's coming up later in the show. But uh, we let's let's, let's start off. You know, like I said get this bear stuff. Uh, uh, get out from this bear stuff. You know, you were able to attend the game yesterday. I was. I could have, but you know, I I was you know feeling a little bit under the weather. I like a you know. I, I mean, I don't blame you. Uh, I don't blame yeah. you. Yesterday was a, a nasty day to be outside and trying to navigate through the parking lots and trying to get into Soldier Field in yeah. that nasty weather. If you wasn't feeling a hundred percent, so I, I totally understand. And then, you know, watching the actual game and seeing the product on the field. You know, it wouldn't have made you feel any better. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I was worried I might have started earling or something in the in the press box, you know, especially after that start. But you know, they, mm-hmm. yeah, this is 
like it's it's obvious what's going on with the Bears. Like I said that's why I don't think we need to really go too deep into it. They they were reduced to having uh you know Dalton out there starting. He mm-hmm. gives them four interceptions. He pretty much gives the sort of signature Andy Dalton performance that uh, we would you know have reason to expect at some point he would give. And uh, you know, <laughs> Arizona took advantage of it. I thought Arizona was sort of iffy at, at certain points in the game. They definitely, yeah. they definitely were. Um, yeah. You know, watching the game live, um, you know, the Bears definitely did not help themselves out. And with a team like Arizona, you definitely can't make the mistakes and turn the ball over. You know, they 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 have the record that they do for a reason. Now they're ten and two, uh, but they don't make a lot of mistakes. And they execute very well. I, I think for and, and Kyler Murray, he's turning out to be a special player. DeAndre Hopkins, we saw on, on his one touchdown, he made a phenomenal play. Jalen Johnson was literally draped all over him, and uh, he was still able to come down with the with the catch and, and get the touchdown. So you know you, they have some special players on, on offense. But with, with that said, you know it wasn't like Kyler Murray. And DeAndre Hopkins and those guys were carving the Bears up. And I think yeah. the weather did have something to do with it. But um, it, this this game was not on the defense today. It was not uh, that day, I should say, yesterday. The game was not on the defense. The, the story of the game is the four, the, the four interceptions. Um, you know, the first one, uh, uh, he threw the ball to DeKean Grant, uh, who, who's starting to have a bigger role in the offense, um, and he's starting to get a, a few more targets in, in the game. And we saw that, you know, before, you know, Justin Fields went down with his with his rib injury that uh, Jakeem Grant was becoming a bigger part of the offense. But one goes off his hands and, you know, goes to the defender. Uh, you know, the Cardinals get the ball in plus territory. Uh, the next one uh, was one, you know, interception by uh, Buda Baker. Uh, the ball gets thrown to Cole Komet. It, you know, bounces off his chest and lands right into Buda Baker, and he returns at 75 yards into plus territory. Uh, and then there's another one. I, I don't know what he was looking at, but he just threw it right to the guy. And then uh, the last one, uh, intercepted by a, a defensive lineman, number 94, made a phenomenal play covering the screen pass. But at the same time, it's a screen pass. You know, you don't really see too many bad interceptions like that on screen passes. Um and so uh, Andy Dalton had a bad game, bad game. Uh, 200 interceptions were on the receivers. Uh, two of them were – the other two were completely on him. And when you turn the ball over four times uh, that easily, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be hard to win against any team. So well, the, 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 they scored 23 points off of those turnovers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we – if you get 23 points off of turnovers, you able to beat the Bears in just about any week. It, it just happened that this week it was just enough to beat the Bears because they actually scored 22 points, which is almost something to clap about. Uh, you know what? I, 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 I mean, the here's, here's the thing, though. I, I think even though um, the, I never got the sense that the besides David Montgomery – you know, doing what he did, he played very inspired football. David Montgomery, he played, yeah. he played like a beast. Uh, he was hard to tackle uh, coming out the backfield. 
you know, he was kept, he was able to, you know, catch some swing passes and some passes out in the flat. You know, he really had a complete game. I think he was over 140 total plus yards. Um, yeah, he was really, yeah. he was, he, he, you know, and he was the only, he was the only thing that the Bears were able to 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 get going on offense. It kind of reminds you of the old Matt Forte days when you know. It's just give the ball to Matt Forte, and that's all the Bears mm-hmm. could really do. And that's kind of what it seemed like, you know, th- this kind of game. David Montgomery had a, a Matt Forte-like type of game. Um, but I never really got the sense that the the Bears uh, really got into the rhythm that they needed to establish uh, on offense to, to, you know, really make it a competitive game because of the, tur- the turnovers. Uh, I do think – that the weather affected both teams, but um, but you know the Cardinals, what, you know the Cardinals were able up, to. Be- what's up with this though? You know, like you say, the weather. You know, people want to talk about bear weather and everything. No such thing as bear weather. Really, yeah, it's, no that's a myth, and it, it it's it only works. Newsflash. Yeah, it only the works when the bears. Are good. Yeah. Most of the players on the Bears come from sunny areas. They go back to sunny areas in the offseason. They don't like being in the cold either. <laughs> sure. But I mean, yeah, it works, it works when it works when they're good though. When they have a good aggressive uh, athletically inclined players, that's when they can you but, know, the, but the thing but is yeah, I, like you say, they, yeah, they most <laughs> most of the players are from the south and uh, Texas and places like that and uh, so it don't matter. But what I'm getting to say, what I'm getting to say is that you know, yeah, the weather really wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue for Arizona. Just, you know, Pete, I don't know who thought because they play in a dome and whatnot that they wouldn't be able well, I, I will to say that, you know, the Bears in that weather either. I, I will say Kyler Murray did have, a, you know, a couple times, difficult times, you know, gathering the snap. And, you know, they he, they dropped it. But, you know, those those mistakes and miscues they were able to overcome and you know yeah. it, it was not a lot more minuscule compared to the four interceptions thrown by Andy Dalton so right. you're not getting <laughs> that type of stuff from that team right. that's why they're 10 and 2 now because right. they don't they don't kick themselves in the behind and they they make plays like you know uh, when Connor was able to make that one-handed grab they make play they they make Chickens salad out of chicken shit, you know. <laughs> with the bear, with the bears, just have chicken shit all day. So right, you know, it, and, but, and, and, and that's the thing. I think for me, it, it was very easy to see from the press box that the the, the bears' offensive line uh, was uh, was able to to push and move the Arizona Cardinals' defensive line off the, off the line of scrimmage, and you know, so you thought they looked better. I thought they looked better. You know, run blocking. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't understand why. You know why they do this, but it, it always seems like when they, you know, got get get something like a better better play type going, uh, they they start going away for it, going away from it, and they yeah. don't go back to it. They had a lot of success running off right tackle behind Larry Borum, and. You know, uh, they had one play where they gave the ball to David Montgomery. He ran off right tackle. It ends up getting 10-plus yards. And you don't see it again until the second half. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm. And, and that's then especially, especially when you end up throwing an interception. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I mean, yeah, it, 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 they just do a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. 
and, and I was in the, in the press conference, the post game press conference with 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 uh with, with Matt Nagy, and they tried to do a little bit of misdirection uh with the post with, with the post game where they started. Well, what's fight. up? What's up with these uh technical issues and stuff that they have? he out there with a walkie-talkie like he in the backyard playing with his friends. And, 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 and that's the thing, like. Second straight game. This has happened at home. At, at home, and I, it, it's very strange. And then somebody, you know, did you know ask? I forget who the port, reporter who asked, but um, they did ask, like, what, like, what's the deal with that? Pretty much, like, why does that keep happening? And you know, I was starting to wondering. You know, I, I wondered myself, like, is this just an issue on the offensive side of the ball? Are they having these same issues? On the defensive side of the ball as well, like what's yeah. what's going on? Because you did have two games where you know you had blown coverages when you lost, you know, especially the one at home against the Ravens. So are those things that you know are affected by you know being the Soldier Field? And I don't know, maybe that's another reason they need to move to Arlington if they can't get the technology straight. <laughs> I mean, it's something. I mean, are they they ain't paying their bills or something? I don't know. What, you know, I mean. I mean, stuff like that is like you know, it's it's it's, it's such a Chicago thing, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and, and for for as much fun as we you know make make of the Lions, when you see the Bears, you can also say the Bears are going to Bears, you know. This is this is at the point where we're at at the in the Nagy regime. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much, and that's why it's looking, you know, like I, I always got to quote the old. Uh, uh, main source song, you know, he looking at the front door. So, you know, hopefully, uh, him and you know, we'll, we'll get on this another day. But you know, we we've been getting on this really. But you know, hopefully, there's a whole regime change, and you know, but you know, they're all they've been doing, all they it, it's going. In, I, I was I was sort of teasing uh, some of the guys last week about them having being a game out up from the playoffs after the Thanksgiving game, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, and even yesterday they were still showing that playoff, uh, that playoff picture thing where they, they're sitting there at the end looking like goofies, you know, uh, the 14th best team in the league, but because the league sucks, they, <laughs> they still in the playoffs for some reason. And, but it's like, you know, just you know, cut out, cut out all that. There's no, there's no reason to tease people or mm -hmm. you know entice people in any way with any type of thinking of of that kind. This is not a playoff team. This is not a team that's going to win maybe even six games, uh, you know, this season. This is a team, I mean, this is a bad team, and they are and they are way overdue for a restructuring and a reshuffling of their. I mean, uh, and and leaders. I think you know, you know. Another thing that was, you know, interesting to me or very, you know, I don't, here's the thing. I don't want to say it. Matt Nagy was very indignant and, and very adamant about Andy Dalton being the guy, you know, to start and lead the team until he was told otherwise. And, you know, he, he gets the opportunity due to do the injury to show people what, you know, to unleash his plan with Andy Dalton and, that's what they come out and do, you yeah. know. You know, you had extra time to plan too. You had extra time to plan. And <laughs> he's, he's like two, he's like two and thirteen now when he has more than a week to play. Right. That's so, that's that's incredible. 
that's a that's a true indictment on your right. to to game player that do the essential things that a coach does. How you gonna have extra time and be worse than when you have regular time to prepare? Right. You know, that's, yeah, that's that's what they say. Batman is supposed to be specialized in when he has prep time. You know, <laughs> right. if, if you gave Batman <laughs> more time to prepare, he's supposed to be able to really kill anybody. He's going to find more ways and new ways to screw up. Yeah. And, and I think that's that, that's definitely something that he has to do to, to work on. That's something that um, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I think he's uh, foolhardy. You know, he, he thinks his way is the way, but Really, the way it is, he doesn't really have any any other tools in his toolbox. Like he's right. he's, he's adept at uh, yeah at, at at you know at ways to win, and you know for for whatever reason he didn't learn enough from his his role models, his mentors, Andy Reid. And he doesn't he doesn't have the same things that he had. So it's right. You know, that's. <laughs> the Bears just messed up. They didn't get a guy who was really beyond coaching finishing school. He wasn't ready to be a coach when they got him. They took a re- they took a flyer out on him, and they got one good year, and the rest has been crap. So, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Yep. Okay. But uh, yeah, let's let's uh let's transition. We got Chris waiting over here. Uh, get to some better, uh, more upbeat topics, and uh, talk to my man Chris. wasn't able to get him on. Uh, wasn't able to build with him last week because he was in New York. Uh, talk about uh, talk about Batman. You know, even though the real Gotham is Chicago, but they try to say that New York is Gotham, but it, you know, real Gotham really is Chicago. But but you know, uh, uh, Chris invaded. Uh, New York last week, and and I guess had some fun, man. You at least saw two victories from the Bulls, and uh, you know that had to be pretty cool beating the Knicks in in the Garden. That was a great picture I saw you post of sort of like a panoramic shot of the Garden, and uh, you know, and, and you know, of course, on Saturday they win in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. But was that your first time being in, in both of them arenas? Yeah, yeah. Um... That picture was lucky because I got those. It was so funny, man. <clears throat> I went on TickPick to get those Knicks tickets, and I was going to – they do all – you can buy everything on a payment plan without going through a credit card now. And so I was going to get these tickets on it. Like, you, honestly, yo, you look up this stuff, you get, like, Afterpay or um, Affirm oh, yeah. is another one. I've I used that mattress stuff. through them. And so I was going to buy these tickets that were kind of expensive and pay, like, you know, $50 a month for the next four months. But I accidentally bought the whole price tickets at that moment. And I was like, hold on a second. I'm emailing them like, hey, I didn't mean to do this. I want to pay for these tickets, but I really would not like to pay for all of them now. And they're like, hey, all sales are final. And I was like, come on. I, this, this is it rough. Took all your trip money. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to try and um, sell the tickets back the day of, buy some new tickets in a different spot. And as it turned out, not only was that only the only bad spot was that they put me and another big dude right next to each other. So we were like squeezed in there for the whole game. But otherwise, if I had gotten different seats, I would have never have had that view. 
but trust that arena is one of the best places I've ever seen a sporting event ever in my life. I've sat in United Center. I've sat downstairs at um, Comiskey Park, Wrigley Field, been to Camp Randall Stadium. Even even Lambeau's kind of dope, other than the fact that you're sitting on backless bleachers. But seeing a basketball game in Madison Square Garden, the sight lines were, were clean everywhere. And the way that the Jumbotron is set up, it's not like right in your face, kind of how some places are. They made it bigger, but they made it real low. So you're trying to look up somewhere else, you can't see it. Right. It's just, it feels like you can see everything. Even the way that the roof is, the roof is kind of low. You can see everything in there. So that was how I got that shot. And it was like, you know, it was just dumb luck, really. Because mm. those tickets weren't cheap. <laughs> you got you got, you got your money worth, at least, I guess, huh? Oh, for sure. And the way the game played out, um, I mean, y'all saw both games, hopefully. The Bing Bulls, bong killers. <laughs> man, they came right, man, yeah, the, the bull came through and crushed the buildings like Snoop, man. They they done beat they beat both New York teams. They they we beat had, both LA teams last month. We had Daz and Damar and uh uh Damar and uh Zach like Daz and corrupt. <laughs> right. no, I, played, I played New York, New York coming off the plane because I was ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, the only thing though now is, is, is for some reason they they can't get this COVID monkey off their back. You know, uh, the news came out today about the same day Demar gets uh, Eastern Conference uh, Player of the Week. Uh, we find out that he's in protocols as well, so he's uh, he's missing at least one game. They say, but it, it's likely going to be more. And you know that comes out off the off the heels of Javante Green and Kobe White. And of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, Vucevic was, uh, you know, already went through protocols, uh, and you know, I don't, I don't know what's that about, man. But it, it you know, I, I'm trying to not be, uh, you know, uh, worried about it. But it's not. I have my theories. Deep. I have my theories, but I, I'm not going to say them. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> what is, is it? Is that controversial? You, you get on some Doctor Sebi or something? No, nah, it's not it's no Dr. Savvy, man. It's just about the extracurriculars. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe they they spent a few days in New York, man. Maybe maybe they did some stuff that, you know, that uh, Chris, maybe you should have got into, man. I don't know. Hey, man, I was just there. I was there to see those games, visit some friends. <laughs> kicked, it at, kicked it at a couple spots. But, yeah, man, I didn't realize that DeMar got COVID, too. I was just talking about how they – um. They were without Kobe White, and they looked from most of that Nets game like they didn't have enough to come back into it because, you know, Alizé Johnson was the second guard off the bench, um, and then Caruso injured his hamstring, and he didn't come back into the game after he looked um, even better offensively than he did on Thursday at Madison Square Garden. So I thought the Bulls was were well short when, when they announced he wasn't coming back, you know, I almost was like, look, they're going to take this L tonight, but – you know they fought back like they. That was a great effort that they made to to stay in that game and, and eventually take it. They did. All those guys pitched in. Tony Bradley came off the bench, and you know he's Tony Bradley. But they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. He had a couple of nice plays. Um, Derek Jones and Troy Brown really held it down, um, especially with those guys guarding Kevin Durant. They they at least made him work, and you know even. 
even with Zach and DeMar being the two options, they still were able to get their points. And the Bulls kind of weathered a storm and, and got some help. James Harden was not sharp that night. Yeah. And um, Patty Mills didn't get a lot of, of – he didn't get a lot of touches late. There was a sequence where he passed the ball twice when he had open looks and KD, and they, they uh, got a shot clock violation, and that was just, you know, a, a stupid mistake. And KD definitely let him know about it coming back down the court. But the Bulls had some luck on their side, you know, no Joe Harris, no Blake Griffin for the Nets, and James Harden having a very off night. Uh, evidently, he's been pretty awful in their losses, and they haven't beaten um, – I think it's that the Knicks haven't won on back-to-backs or the Nets have had a lot of trouble on back-to-backs and they had, they played the night before. So the, as good as the Knicks win was where the Bulls ran out to that lead and were just running them out of the garden and then weathered that late storm. I think the Nets win was more impressive just because those guys are proven MVPs and they were able to claw their way back in that game and they held it late. That three that Lonzo took was the same three that he missed a couple of nights before. Yeah. They really put the dagger in, in the Knicks, and he took that shot with confidence. I'm all the way sold on Lonzo Ball now. I wasn't – I hadn't been since he came in the league. Um, even when Drew was saying he improved his shot, I wasn't sold, but I'm sold now. I mean, he, he, he makes enough of his shots now to where you can feel good about him, especially his – his corner pops and stuff like you don't have to be like, oh man, don't shoot that. But you know, I, I think it wasn't it Drew who who put out the stats with the w- how he shoots with the with the fro versus the braids. It looked like he got <laughs> yeah, he, he, he looked into it, man. Drew yeah, I think he got to he got to bring back the braids, man. You know that that plus forty percent that's worth it, man. He need to have a a, a chick with him at all times to braid to braid his hair or or whoever braids his hair. I don't know. <laughs> Let's not assume, man. Let's not assume. Let's not assume. You know, yeah, anybody yeah. can braid hair, but whoever the hair braiding person is, they need to travel with them. Yeah, I was, I was, I agree with you, Joe. I agree. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, uh, you know, bring it back to the Nets and the Bulls. Like the Bulls been able to knock them off here in Chicago and, of course, in Brooklyn now. And we know that the Nets still aren't all together, and they, I don't know, they may not be all together for the the entirety of the season, you know, given what, you know, Kyrie is, you know, seen just to be in shutdown mode. He hasn't, you know, he's been radio silent in recent weeks now, you know, really not saying much of anything. But, uh, you know, given what the Bulls have done against the Nets so far, you know, do you think that they can possibly knock them off in the playoffs? Yeah, they, they look like they could. I still think they need somebody backing up Vooch. That's where you really miss Patrick Williams. Uh, They missed him Saturday. They missed him Thursday, honestly. Um, So they would need to get somebody, I think, whether it's just a fill-in guy who can eat up minutes that Tony Bradley would have gotten, or um, if they can swing somebody, if they want to make a big splash and try to swing somebody at the all-star break like uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I think one of my guys floated to me, or one one of the guys I was talking to in New York, actually floated that, uh, having them get Carl Anthony Towns from Minnesota at the break. That would be big. That would be a huge move, but it would probably take a lot of, you know, more than a few draft picks. But somebody like that, whether it's an offense, another offensive option, 
or a guy who can primarily come in and play defense and run, you know, run rim to rim. That's a, that's a guy that they need. But if the Nets are at this version or a little better, the Bulls can definitely hang with them. They would just – if they want to be a top team in the East this year, you got to get to the point where you're avoiding those teams that could cut your throat in the first two rounds, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's the tier that they're in right now. Once Milwaukee gets back healthy, um, if if Boston gets better, I'm trying. Um, if 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 Philly if Philadelphia can can kind of get out of their own way, the East is open. Part of me keeps wanting to you know not overestimate because my guys are talking about conference finals appearance. And I'm like, it's early. It's still early. Yeah. But the East is pretty open. I just think that they're still one of those mid teams right now especially with what they have on display they've been able to win games that's for sure that's not a problem but it's about being able to close out three series yeah and and what you say about the bulls possibly making a move towards the end of the season it makes me think about last season in the way where they were a subpar team that was trying to make a playoff push just get into the playoff get into that play in now didn't they aggressively made that move it didn't work but they made the move with ak and everything they made the moves to 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 make the attempt so you got to feel that if in this position where they know they're a playoff team and they're maybe looking like well maybe we can maybe we could make a heist this year it's still this east you know Maybe they I would I would be inclined to think that they will do they would at least explore all the options that's in front of them by the time we get to the trade deadline. I can see that. It's I think the question is if it's worth it, because it's not that anybody can make the finals, but anybody can make the finals once. Um sure. in in say a four or five year span, or you know, even even if you go like ten years out. Anybody can make the finals one time. Miami made the finals in that uh, COVID bubble. Portland made the finals. And, or sorry, Portland made the Western Conference finals, excuse me. Um, mm. there, there's a, with well, where yeah, they, but, well, Toronto and, you know. Right. And now Toronto made that deal, but they were, they already had the pieces around them, even if people didn't believe it necessarily. And Kawhi is a top tier player, he's a top 10 player. Yeah, they have Kawhi, two- Kawhi is like if you like if you went and got cat, it wouldn't be like Kawhi, but it'd be like a level below getting right. Kawhi. Like, but that, but that would be a, that would be a statement that you try to get, and, and it would also be a statement that you're building for the future as well. But that you trying to get something right away. Now, the one thing about the Carl Anthony Towns deal is that we've seen, I think that Eversley and Karnasovis they can draft well, they can deal with teams well. Yeah. So if if Minnesota is asking for multiple draft picks or pieces that they already have or both, then it's a deal that you're less likely to make because I'm not we talked about this. I'm not a guy who scouts college talent, you know, that much or even, you know, down the road, but you don't want to give up too many draft picks if you can if you can avoid it. It's not baseball or anything like that where you're giving up a farm system, but you don't want to give up future draft picks just to win now without being absolutely certain 
where the Bulls are right now, that you can get to the finals and have a good chance to win it. So if if they can get a deal for a guy like Carl Anthony Towns or Carl Anthony Towns, and it puts them in position to be far and away the best team in the conference, or at least say the, the second best behind, I'm, I'm still thinking Milwaukee's going to write the ship. Yeah. Then you make that. If you could get in if you could if you got if you make the odds good, you could get into the Eastern Finals. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and you have a position. You want to be in a position to win the finals. Yeah. Because I'm not I'm not the guy who I'm the guy who wants to be competitive for a long stretch. And they're in a good spot for that. But there's guys who I know, or there's people who would be cool making the finals, having a chance to win the finals, and you swing for the fences right off the bat with that. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who wants to be in a position to make the conference finals five years, six years in a row. Yeah, maintain that, maintain that competitive edge. Exactly. It's easy to fall off. Like if you look at the Rose years, they only really had about two years, and then you know they regrouped. You know, arguably for one year. But they weren't ever in the same position after the injury. You know, you never they say you never know what could happen in that regards with injuries or whatever. And uh yeah, so you 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 wanna have that stabilization there, that foot that uh that that uh foundation there that really carries you for for years ahead. So yeah, definitely I agree with you. But uh that, yeah, Chris, you know, Chris, this actually this is what you give with Chris, uh with running with war, definitely talking. Uh, hoops, you know, every week with us on that show. Glad to have you on a Monday here and talking. But uh, you know, right, right, quick. What was what was your uh, what was one place dope place that you went to in New York that didn't have nothing to do with the hoops and stuff? Um, man, there was a few. I got okay, so I hit up this place called Pelicana Chicken. It seems like a, a chain restaurant out there. Because honestly, there's too many places for me to pick just one. <laughs> Pelicola chicken is fire. They have this spicy, crispy uh, recipe chicken that basically they they take. It's not like boneless. It's not like boneless wings. It's like they'll take a chicken breast or, or chicken thighs and just make um, almost nuggets out of that. But they're bigger than that. And that's some of the best chicken I've ever had in my life it it blows the for all for all the people out there who talk about honey butter fried chicken for some reason that can kick rocks all the way down the road this place <laughs> this place is some of the best chicken i've ever had um shout out to the people at international bar on first avenue down in the in the east village they were great to me chopped it up with some knicks fans all through the night bing um, bong they were good news <laughs> down there my guy keith on the door and um my homie Fancy took me to this place called The Slipper Room, also down in Greenwich Village. Uh, called a burlesque show, and that's all I'm about to say about that. But if you go oh, down okay. to New York, you said The yeah. Slipper Room, I was like, The Slipper Room? If you go down to New York, hit The Slipper Room, midnights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all through the weekend, they'll take care of you. Yeah, so, all righty. Slipper yeah, Room. Yeah, man. <laughs> Let, me get my pen. Let me get my pen. Joe owned it, man. We Joe owned it. Yeah. We, we yeah. yeah. I'll have to keep that in mind as well, yeah. Bro, man, no. it's, a, it's a great city. There's no – if if Chicago gets to the place where the corner store stays open and you can buy um, a roll of toilet paper, uh, a six-pack of a six pack of um, Ching Ta, uh, uh, Sapporo or, or Stella Artois, 
and a cell phone charger at like 1 a.m., then there will be no need for New York. But until yeah. then, that, that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's the, the thing. And a burrito. Yeah, and a burrito. <laughs> no chop cheese? No chop cheese? I didn't get the chop right, cheese, no chopped bro. Cheese, yeah. I, I messed up. I didn't get the chop cheese. Yeah. That's the that's the thing though. They I don't think they trust us enough here to have that many spots <laughs> that late where you can do stuff like that and especially get the six pack like they yeah, Chicago. They yeah, <laughs> they, they don't want they don't want the type of problems. But um yeah, man, I I I, I, I uh, we got a baseball guy coming up too in a few minutes. I wanna get a get your opinion on a couple things. Uh, on the baseball side too, because I know you big on the socks and, and everything as well. You know, well, you know, shout out to Minnie Minoso for getting no in, doubt, uh, no doubt, on, no the, doubt. on the Hall of Fame. Post-posthumously, uh, definitely long overdue. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, free agency. You know, me and Joe did at the top of the show. You know, I'm, I got a writer coming on who's going to be talking about quite a bit of that. And uh, you know, what's your thoughts on how the socks? Have moved so far. They haven't done too much, but uh, do, you, do you think they should have made more of a push on on, on free agency guys before this lockout? Uh, I don't know, man. I really don't. I can't figure out which way the wind is blowing. Depend, you know, just because of the way other teams made moves. I figured the Cubs, the way that their organization was running, that they would be quiet. But instead, they picked up Marcus Stroman. That's a big pickup. Yeah. They let go of Wilson Contreras. Well, they didn't let go of him officially yet, but they picked up Jan Gomes, and the prevailing wisdom says that Jan Gomes is going to start for you, even at this point in his career. And so I, I thought that with that, the owners would feel secure enough in their position not to make deals, and this is the owners in general, I felt that they would not make deals before any kind of agreement had been reached so that they could save money because baseball owners are avaricious. Mm. And yet that's what I was these, expected too. Yeah. Right. And then all these teams are, are going out and picking guys up. Robbie Ray got picked up. The net, the Mets got Max Scherzer and the Sox just, you know, Kendall Graven is a good reliever, but it's not anything that's going to put them in a better position than they were in last year. And you know Jerry Reinsdorf, based on his history, is going to want to save bread. So I, I can't figure it out. I honestly cannot figure it out. It seems like they're they're putting a lot of stock in still in upgrading the second base position. Shout out to Vinny Duver, uh, you know my people's over at NBC Sports. He just he put out a piece today where he basically went over every second baseman in the league and compared, you know the the. It basically listed how realistic a chance that the Sox could make a deal or sign a guy who played second base at that at that uh, position, and um, you know there's still some options, but you know I think you know we mentioned the guy earlier, you know Marcus Simeon and you know a couple other guys like you know the uh, I think or the Chris Taylor I think but there was some some guys who who picked up some some big bank. And uh, before this lockout, and it's like, man, you know, if they could have got one of those guys, it'd have been over. But you know, now <laughs> we're going through they're going through this this shaky time now, and you know, like I say, we'll see how it goes on the how it looks on the other side. You know, but you know what, I I, I was kind of you know hoping that the, 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 the Sox would get Marcus Simeon, 
But you know, when you look at the money, the the amount of money that he got and the age that he is, you know, in yeah, his career, yeah. in, his, in his career numbers, I wasn't that mad <laughs> that they didn't overpay. You know, was it a? Would it have you know solidified a need? Wouldn't they be excited to see? I mean, forty plus home runs, you know. But you know that amount of money for the, about the possible. Uh, I mean, like I said, we don't know. Like you say, his age, we don't know how long he could continue that. But he was right. an MVP guy, right? Uh, this year, you know, that's true. He and you know, it's not the. It's not necessarily the easiest place to hit home runs, I don't think, even though there's been some big oh, home run totals. But Mark, Marcus Simeon's been that guy for a while. He was hitting home runs in the cavern that is um, the Coliseum out in awesome. Oakland. Yeah. And he looked like that guy when he was with the White Sox before they traded him. So he's a, he's a, steady, he's a steady second baseman. The only problem is that he was struck out a lot that first year, and he's not the most shorthanded guy. But he'll hold it down for you. He's a, he's a good get. Even if he was going to get paid, it's it's a splash sometimes that they got to make. That's the thing with the Sox. They got to make the splash. They got to make the big splash to win another World Series in this climate. Right quick before I'm about to bring in Pat Regazzo now. Uh, you know, he covers the Mets. And, you know, uh, they, they just had Baez. Do you think that, you know, Baez, who winds up going to Detroit, now he's in the same bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, hey, I, I, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you think they should have been in the buyer's business? Nah, but it, I, I see what you I see you shaking your head. Nah, and there's no there's no basis to that. That's just bias. That's bias. Bias. Nah. Joe, you agree? You know what? I think he would have been exciting for the fans to see. I, I think you know, as a as a diehard Sox fan, I did kind of have a soft spot for for Javi Baez. I like the way that he plays the game. Uh, I like the uh, the flash that he has on the base paths and, you know, the, the, the quick hands, you know, all those things. But he just strikes out too much. And uh, with with the way this, you know, the lineup is, you don't need a guy that's going to come up there and swing at the fences every single time. Sometimes all you need is a base hit. And that was my thing about Javi Baez that I did not like. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It, as I bring it past. How you doing, sir? How's it going, guys? Good How's everyone's night going? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Pat Regazzo, right? I'm uh, pronouncing that right? Perfect. All right, there you yeah. go. I, I, I saw you. I saw on Twitter you got the, the Sopranos background. I've been watching that. Uh, I've been watching the last season, Reese, uh, the last few days. So I'm I'm, I'm fluent in my, my Italian uh, speak as it were. So. That's just from the TV, dude. Come on. Well, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you, you, you get a little swag when you watch The Sopranos. You know? You're going to start calling Mar uh, marinara gravy now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to start eating nice Tinny Alabaca? <laughs> now, I, I actually don't do that. We don't call it uh, – my dad's side is 100% Sicilian, and I'm, I'm half. My mother's Irish and Cuban. Um, but we never grew up calling it gravy. My grandparents uh, either. It was always sauce. But yeah, it's kind of oh. split. And uh, Sopranos still my favorite, one of my favorite shows of all time. And you're in for a treat. It's a great ending. And um, I can't. I don't want. Oh, to I, 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 I watched it. I watched it live when it happened. So oh, watched, you did. Okay. Yeah. This, right. this is about my. This is about my fourth, fifth time through the show. So you don't want to know how many times I've watched it all the way through. I'm not going <laughs> to disclose that. Here. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Too much. But yeah. 
Pat, man, I, you know, we we, we we bring you in talking about Javi Baez. And, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, he was – he spent a short time in, in Queens uh, yeah. with, with your team. But, you know, it, it was quite, uh, you know, quite uh, entertaining. I don't know if uh, – I guess lively time there. You know, he had some – some run-ins with the fans and stuff, not run-ins, but you know, some uh, some discourse with the fans and and all type of stuff there. But the Mets have, have been, you know, they were very active before the lockout. You know, the big money uh, spending Max Scherzer uh, and you know uh, some other. I just have to run it down to me, but you know, just what was what are your thoughts on how the Mets approach things and. You know, some of these other teams like the Rangers, who not necessarily contenders, but spending a lot of dough, really, you know, shaking up the, you know, shaking up the system. Me, you know, my my guy Chris here, you know, was we were talking a minute ago about, you know, our expectations that the owners would have been maybe tightening their belts or tightening their wallets uh, before this lockout. But it really was the opposite of that. So what are your thoughts on how things played up before the lockout? As disappointing as it is to have a lockout now after all the fireworks we saw the last week or so, um, at the same time, I feel like it was great for the sport to have, you know, everybody kind of racing as if it was the trade deadline to, you know, sign players. And particularly, you mentioned the Mets and the Rangers, who were two of the most active teams and spent the most money in free agency, despite finishing with losing records last year. So I I think it was great. Um, A lot of the agents around the industry were telling me that they didn't expect some of the bigger names to sign before. But, um, you know, while there are still some names out there who, you know, maybe uh, normally would have been scooped up if this was a normal offseason, they are going to have to wait, like Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant. But, yeah, yeah I mean, the Mets, um, their end of the season, you guys were talking about Baez, and I, I definitely want to talk about him a little more in a sec. But the Mets finished the season with a losing record after holding on to first place for 103 days. So they ended on a low note. Jacob DeGrom was hurt the offseason. They couldn't bring in any GMs, no presidents of baseball operations that they wanted. The Mets were just, you know, the, per, the perception was that there was, they were an unattractive destination. And it all kind of came to a head on Thanksgiving Eve where Steve Cohen tweeted out in the morning how mad he was at Steven Matz's agent because they thought they had a deal uh, verbally and that Matz was going to come back to the Mets, which, by the way, I don't think that was a good fit regardless, because even though Matt's kind of figured it out last year with the Blue Jays, he didn't really have that good of a season t- until the end. He just got very hot down the stretch. He struggled with his time, uh, you know, during his time in Queens, and uh, he needed a change of scenery. So I don't think coming back to the Mets would have helped him. Um, you know, in the same breath, that was just kind of it. I think Steve Cohen was like, all right, I'm turning around this. I'm flipping the script. I'm turning around the perception. And that's exactly what he did with those three position player signings on uh, Black Friday. He splurged in his back. Black Friday sale, and they spent <laughs> <laughs> they spent a total of two hundred fifty four point five million dollars in total contract commitment uh, between the three position players, and then the goal was more than a run the wall. Um, Steve Cohen seems like a very active owner, and uh, I know that he gets on Twitter a lot. How do the yeah. people, you know, the fan base and, and just people in, in New York generally feel about him tweeting and, and, and you know? Uh, you know, saying those things like that. (laughs) Well, the Mets fans kind of love it in a way because they're highly active on Twitter. They're rabid, they're passionate. And every time Steve Cohen tweets, 
And even when he doesn't tweet, they're always tagging him. And they're, you know, a lot of, whenever I post work, a lot of times, like if it's about a player, you know, who the Mets should get, who shouldn't they get, it's always people replying, uh, tagging Steve Cohen and telling him to sign Chris Bryan or re-sign Baez or, you know, bring in Scherzer before they actually landed him. And which, by the way, was a generational, could be potentially a franchise-altering move. It's just something we haven't seen from the Mets, uh, you know, in the last 35 years. But um, the fans I know love it. Um, I, I know for me, the morning of Thanksgiving Eve where he tweeted out about Rob Martin, Stephen Matz's agent, I was like, all right, at this point, like, it's just not helping. It's hurting more than it's helping because, you know, other agents see that, other teams see that. Uh, players and maybe it's not a good look, but uh, he definitely uh, made it all, all the bad go away in a hurry. And it's exactly what they needed to do. Um, he said, he told Billy Epler, the new GM, and, and he told Sandy Alderson, it's whatever they need to basically build a winning team. And the Mets had the third highest payroll last year too. Like they spent, it just, uh, you know, they were ravaged by injuries and they lost Jacob DeGrom. They lost Francisco Lindor for six weeks and the offense never came around like it was expected to. So you can't say they didn't spend last year, although they didn't go above the luxury tax. Now they've already blown past it. They're going to go probably much further because the team still has a lot of holes to address. So in the end, I guess Steve Cohen, as long as the team's successful and winning and, and he's doing what he's supposed to do as an owner, then um, I think the tweeting is, is fine by me. Uh, and, and I'm sure the Mets fans would agree with that. Even the thumbs down uh, you know, situation with Javier Baez, I mean, he flipped the script very quickly too because then he caught fire and was – an exciting attractment, attra- I should say. He was a very exciting show for the team and for the fans, you know, down a very dark stretch of the season where the team just wasn't winning m- many games. Baez was clearly their best player. So I know a lot of Mets fans, and I speak to them pretty often as well. Um, you know, with Baez, as soon as he started producing, that's all they care about. All they really care about is winning and if the players perform. And uh, as long as you do that, then the other stuff kind of doesn't really matter. It's just when that other stuff kind of becomes a more of a distraction when the team's losing. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see how this season plays out. Uh, obviously, a lot of work left to be done, and uh, this lockout needs to end too, as well. And it, it surely is exciting in any uh, November or December when you bring in players the type that the Mets have been bringing in. And you know, you uh, I, I, I'm looking on your website now, the Inside the Mets uh, Fan Nation uh, with uh, you know the the Sports Illustrated Network. Uh, so check out Pat there. But uh, you know, you write the other day about uh, you know, another cub. We're exploring these Chicago, New York connections yeah. here. But uh, you know, Chris Bryant may be on the table still. Like I say, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the players were still on the table. Once we get past this uh, lockout, uh, you know, Chris Bryant may be on the table for the Mets. So explain that, and you know, how would they afford him, and how would they possibly, uh, you know, approach trying to sign him? With you know, of course, we all know Scott Boris is his guy, and. You know, you talk about uh, outspoken uh, agents, you yeah. know, uh, outspoken agents, outspoken uh, owners. You know, that could be a, something combustible there. Well, right. So you mentioned Boris. Of course, he's obviously a tough negotiator, but the Mets already struck a historic deal um, with him to obviously to land Max Scherzer last week. Oh, yeah. So with Bryant, um, the Mets have shown interest in him as, you know, as way back as last year when he was a non-tender candidate for the Cubs and they wound up tendering him, which was a smart move to do. And the Mets tried to trade for him and Baez in a blockbuster deal at the deadline, but they actually found out that Jacob deGrom had the slight tear in his UCL and, you know, figured he probably wasn't coming back uh, last season. So at that point, they're like, all right, we're not going to sell our entire farm system. 
to go all in this year if our best pitcher and the best pitcher in the world, you know, was out for the season. So they cut the deal in half and they settled on Baez, but the Mets have been interested in Chris Bryant for a while. And John Heyman from MLB Network was even saying prior to the lockout, the Mets still were showing interest even after Baez signed with the Tigers. Because when it came down to the negotiating with Javier Baez, obviously the Tigers were very aggressive for him. They wanted him. They wanted him to be their shortstop. And they were going to always pay him the most money because they had the latitude to do so. And the Mets were willing to go as high as $125 million, but they wouldn't budge off that. So with Bryant, the fact that they're still showing interest in him, it, it, it really just kind of shows, uh, you know, the one remaining hole they have is they could use another bat in their lineup. Now, Jeff McNeil was an all-star in 2019, and he endured a really rough season last year. They didn't really have great hitting coaches. Um, you know, a number of proven hitters struggled. So you could kind of count on a bounce back for him. But at the same time, if the Mets want to create an offensive juggernaut, Chris Bryant would be the move there. And he plays third. He plays all three outfield positions. Um on the other hand, he doesn't necessarily play any of those positions very well. Uh, his defensive bats <laughs> aren't great at any of these positions. The Mets have a couple top prospect third basemen coming up in the next year or two, so they don't want to necessarily block them. Um, they just signed Eduardo Escobar, who said on his introductory press conference last Wednesday that his preference is to play third base. So he has the ability to play second, but um, obviously if Bryant came, it would put, it would stick Bryant at third in the short term and, and push Escobar to second, which the player already mentioned he wasn't necessarily comfortable in doing so. So I don't think Brian's a great fit, but obviously his bat would put them over the top. And I was speaking to a couple agents and executives around the league who said, basically, if Chris Bryant, if Steve Cohen wants Chris Bryant, he'll find a way to get it done. He's going to open up the checkbook. Um, you know, you can't count out a guy who's willing to, you know, with his money and just the fact that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. Now, if they did sign Bryant, and I was speculating this based off what they offered Baez, if they, you know, say they offered Bryant five years, $125 million, gave him $25 million a season, um, I'm not necessarily saying that he would accept it because we were hearing that he was potentially looking for a seven-year deal earlier in the offseason. Um, but I, I think that's probably what makes the most sense if Bryant is willing to come over here, join the Mets, and take that deal. Um, you know, he's already 29, 30 years old. So the five-year deal would make him a free agent again at age 35, which isn't exactly ideal, especially given his track record. But um, for the Mets, I think it, it would make a lot of sense other than it wouldn't necessarily strengthen your defense and it would kind of play some guys out of position, uh, you know, and potentially even block some of their top prospects they have coming up. But at the same time, th this is a win-now team. And, and by signing Bryant, they would definitely uh, be in, you know, solidify their stamp as being a win-now club. Um, say they signed him though for the 25 million annually, not only would they lock up, uh, you know, another long-term, uh, you know, bloated contract, but it would add their current payroll is at, I believe around 264 million, uh, which is $54 million over the current luxury tax. So if they were to sign him, the payroll would already be up to 289 million. They're in need of another starter, probably a number three guy in the rotation, which I think they could explore, uh, throughout the trade market once the lockout's over. And they're in need of multiple relievers, especially losing Aaron, after losing Aaron Loop. Hey, you talk about them being an evil starter. Now they had Stroman. Yep. Stroman escapes, and you know he's now a North Sider in Chicago. You know what? What came about with with that whole relationship with him and the Mets was was it a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave, or you know what? What did it come down to? By because we know he was excited uh, about coming to Chicago, but was he just sick of New York too? I think once the Mets learned that they had a legitimate shot of getting Max Scherzer 
and went hard in their pursuit to get him. Uh, we heard Steve Cohen and his wife, Alex, were recording Scherzer and his wife. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and Epler and Sandy Alderson obviously were heavily involved in those negotiations. And, you know, the perception was that Scherzer denied a trade to New York at the trade deadline, which turned out not to be true. Um, the Nationals did not want to trade him within the NL East, which makes a lot of sense. So between that and then also we heard that Scherzer wanted to go to a California team, which also wasn't true, as Scherzer was saying on his introductory press conference last week, because his house is in Jupiter, Florida, um, which is 30 minutes from the Mets spring training facility in Port St. Lucie. So that was going to give him the best opportunity to be around his kids and his wife, uh, you know, for the majority of the year. Um, you know, obviously spending his off seasons down in Florida and then spring training before coming back up to New York once they break camp. So I legitimately believe that once Scherzer was a realistic possibility that that kind of pushed the Mets away from Stroman and Stroman was pretty adamant in his tweets uh, as of as late as I believe last week, a couple of days before he saw uh, the day, two days before the Mets signed Scherzer, that the Mets were more interested in Kevin Gosman and Robbie Ray and the other starters out there. He didn't even name Scherzer, but at that point, I think the Mets just, had kind of lost interest because Stroman got a, a, a big deal with the Cubs. I mean, three years, $71 million, He is the opt-out after a year or two, but he's been making a lot of money. Um, he's a very good starter, a great competitor. He doesn't necessarily go deep into games, but he came back after not throwing an inning in 2020. Um, he came back and threw 180 innings last year which is and made 33 starts, which is pretty impressive. Um, but, yeah, he's he's a bulldog. He's a, he's a workhorse. He's very athletic at feeling his position off the mound. I think he got snubbed for the Gold Glove Award this year. Um, but I think when it came down to it, it was just, uh, you know, split was pretty imminent. And um, I, I think the Mets and, and Stroman just knew that it wasn't going to happen um, long term. So he's he had Stroman himself had said in the end of the season he would love to come back. And, you know, he wanted to be somewhere he could call home for a number of years because he felt, you know, with his contract expiring in Toronto and they traded him to the Mets. He always felt like he wasn't in a stable, uh, you know, situation with the Mets since they acquired him in 2019 at the deadline. So. Um, yeah, I think this was just uh, kind of one of those imminent things that Mets obviously would have loved to have him back, but they just couldn't do it, uh, you know, once they were able to get Scherzer. And, uh, yeah, now we, now Strowman's with the Cubs. Chris uh, Chris got to uh, come off. Uh, we got to let Chris go. Uh, thanks uh, thanks for joining me again, man. Like I said, uh, you can follow Chris at Quandry Kitten uh, right there and uh, definitely check him out with uh, Running With War and all of our, uh, you know, on our – war media network and everything uh and we'll get up with you soon man for sure uh pat i wanted to ask you one quick thing before i jumped off sure. if you could say within six six or seven words do you think that the end of the, the beginning of the mlb season is going to be delayed or if the season's going to be outright um canceled right now canceled i would say definitely not uh right now uh, you know there's hope that they're going to get something done by early or mid february which i think everybody involved fans uh you know employees reporters whoever you know works around the game of baseball or, or follows the sport is hoping that they get this done and it doesn't cut into spring training and just think what we just witnessed prior to the deadline with the you know the free agent signing frenzy is what we're going to see once the lockout ends and teams are trying to make deals and, you know, fill their holes and, and, you know, finish up their roster prior to spring training. So, yeah, I think everyone's pretty optimistic that, um, you know, it's not going to cut into spring training games. Um, obviously that's a possibility because you're not at the same time, the players don't get paid until the regular season starts. And uh, as long as, you know, nothing cuts into the season, 
then I think we'll be okay. But yeah, I, I think right now there's reason to be optimistic, but obviously it's not going to be easy negotiation. And uh, yeah, we all just kind of got to cross our fingers that it doesn't start canceling, uh, you know, first exhibition games and then regular season games. How, how about how dug in are both sides? Do you get a sense of that? All right, thanks, Chris. Um, I mean, they didn't really have lengthy meetings prior to the lockout. Um, I think by February or at least like mid to late January, there's going to be some more urgency if, if there hasn't been progress made by then. Um, both sides are a little petty and, and don't have much love for each other, as, right. as you guys probably know. Right. Um, and, you know, the players, I've heard a lot, a lot of the players' demands, whether it be earlier arbitration, earlier free agency, uh, 12 team, you know, 12 teams make the playoffs out of the 30 versus the owners. Um, so I don't think it's, you know, ridiculous demands, but at the same time, it's a touchy subject for both sides because it, you know, it has long-term implications on the game and the players that are going to be coming through, you know, in, in the future. So, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't really heard much traction as of yet, but I, I think by January, hopefully we're going to start hearing that things are heating up there and, Maybe they'll be moving towards a deal and an agreement by then. It's, it's interesting to me because that's part of, like, you know, that's part of what I wanted to get a, a writer like you are for the, to sort of explain to me. Is I, like, usually when when these type of issues are coming uh, on the table with with the with baseball, it's sort of clear cut and you know, you can see it coming from, you know, from miles away. And I guess people more closer to the game probably saw it coming uh, more than. Uh, you know, than than others than others like us, but you know, it, it seems it doesn't seem like the issues are that you know financially like like say the way that the owners have spent the money is not like they could they could cry broke, and uh, you know as as opposed to like a couple of years ago where it seemed like the owners had stopped spending money for a little bit, you know the players can be satisfied in what they're getting now, so. It seems like well, the, the sticking points are more so in other areas, but you know, you mentioned stuff like the playoff expansion and everything like that. So I, you know, I, I just like say, what like what are the main sticking points, and what uh, among those sticking points, what do you think are, are we? What do you think we're going to see in, in regards to changes wholesale coming out of the lockout? The number one thing that Max Scherzer, who's on the MLPA's committee um or the players union i should say sure the number one thing that both scherzer and his agent scott boris mentioned on the press conference last week is that tanking needs to go in the mlb Uh, there are a lot of teams year in and year out who just are not trying to compete they're not spending money uh you can look at the a's even this year the a's who have been good for a number of seasons you know since bob melvin took over in 2011 but Obviously, they, you know, they've had a lower payroll. They always have had a lower payroll given their market and, you know, their ownership situation. But um, the A's are getting ready for, you know, to cut, you know, a number like a mass amount of their payroll. And that's why they let Bob Melvin, who was supposed to be paid four million this year, walk to the Dodgers for no compensation in return. Mm -hmm. So teams like the A's, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Colorado Rockies, who didn't trade Trevor Story, but probably have no intention of re-signing him. Um, that's what the players really want to eliminate from the game. Um, and I guess the way they could do that is having a minimum uh, price yeah. floor. Right. For that was, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably what I think it's one of the things that the players are kind of uh, focusing on because there are a number of players who play for those smaller market teams who just, 
you know, it's not like the teams are trying to win every year. And that's, you know, that makes the game more competitive when they are. I mean, I grew up, you know, prior to joining the Mets beat, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I grew up following the Mets, my family, uh, you know, they're diehard Mets fans, my father, my brother, my, my cousins, my uncles. So, you know, from those years, the Mets always used to spend, they're a big market team, even yeah. during the Wilpon era. But then of course, Bernie Madoff, um, you know, wound up, I think, uh, the Mets owners, the former owners in the Wilpons lost upwards of $700 million in their investments with Bernie Madoff, mm-hmm. the largest white collar crime in American history. And really from 2011, 2012 to up until Cohen, Steve Cohen buying the team, the Mets really did not spend. And particularly the years of 2012 to 2014, the Mets uh, just really were not spending much and they weren't in a position to spend a lot. And it was just years where they weren't able to field a competitive team. And I specifically remember in 2012, in the first half, the Mets were a surprising team in the league and they were in the top wild card spot by the all-star break. But then they kind of came back down to earth after and, uh, you know, finished with a losing record. And, you know, things all kind of came crashing down again. But that just kind of, uh, you know, resembled the teams that they were putting together in those years. And for everyone involved, it's just not fun to kind of, you know, go into a season kind of knowing that you're not going to be, be in a position to compete because your team, you know, didn't spend the money to put the product on the field. And the biggest people, obviously the players are suffering and the fans suffer in that situation. You could look at teams like the Pirates last year and and the Rockies, as I mentioned, the Marlins have done it for a number of years, although they've built their farm system up pretty, you know, pretty decently. And it looks like maybe they will be able to compete in, a, in a, you know, in a couple of years. But um, yeah, it's just got to be tough. It's tough for those, you know, for those fan bases and, uh, you know, kind of draw people in and, and get people invested in it, which which creates the most revenue in the long run anyway. I right, mean, right, right, right. Yeah. New York, when the Mets were in the World Series in 2015, the atmosphere, it was like none other. So yeah. when the teams are winning and, and you know, people are invested and, in, you know, it, it creates more revenue because people are spending money to go to games, are spending money on merchandise, um, you know, more viewers on, you know, on TV. It's just, it, it's good for the game to, you know, to have competitiveness, uh, you know, around the league and, and when, you, and when you see it happen with small market teams, it's bad enough. But it it could spread to bigger market teams like the Cubs. I I know Boris, uh, you know, sort of highlighted what the Cubs did the past year as well, in regards to just selling off their stars yeah. because they didn't feel they had enough of a chance this year. And that's the type of thing that I it makes it makes a lot of sense. They want to put the kibosh on that. Before, well, because, because the it, it seems like it's just this default setting that teams are getting into where, okay, we, we can't win now, so let's just flatten everything out and then, you know, rebuild. Because, you know, the Cubs did do that about 10 years ago, and the Astros did it, and a couple other teams have done it to certain success. And, you know, but, but I, it's definitely understandable why the players and their agents and such would want to I mean, like, kill it's, it's all that. It's interesting. Uh, you bring up, you know, Scherzer, you know, who's mm-hmm. going to be making 40 plus million. And then you look at the Baltimore Orioles and their payroll and Matt Scherzer makes more than their whole team. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and when you put those two numbers together, you know, you know, one player versus a team, you know, it, it does seem very ridiculous. And so I, I, I would be on the side of the players. I'm always going to be pro union, but, uh, and on the side of the players, but yeah. and, and that's, that's what that's Joe. That's what was like weird to me too about what hap- was happened in the off season. You know, in this most immediate off season, where it's like 
like again, the owners um, they were giving up that money again, and it's like, you know, what what just just what are we leading to? But mm-hmm. they they you, do have a system where there's haves and have nots, and you want to like say make it a little more balanced if you're the players because you want as many players across the league to get as much money as possible. So you yeah. mentioned you mentioned the Orioles too, and that that's a good point. I totally forgot about them, but the Orioles. I went to college in Maryland. So when I was in school, the Orioles, it was the Buck Show, Walter, Adam Jones era, Chris Davis, mm. Mark Trumbo, Nelson Cruz. The Orioles had some good teams and they were making the playoffs, you know, every year or so. And, uh, you know, fans were really invested down there for the first time since. Now, I'm born in ni- 1996. So the Orioles last winning season before 2012 was in 1997. When I yeah. Was a year yeah. So Buck Showalter kind of turned them around and the players they had, Manny Machado, um, you know, they, they had a, there's some very good teams, Zach Brenton. Uh, and then, you know, unfortunately 2017 rolled around 2018 and they started trading off all their players and, you know, cutting payroll. And, um, you know, they've just been in like an endless cycle of a rebuild for the last five years or so. And it's just, it's not fun for the fans or the market. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate for baseball that, that, that is so common. And the Orioles are, are just as guilty as anybody for that. Yeah. That's, it's really sad what's going on with that franchise, given the history that they've had, you know, uh, of success and everything. And, and Baltimore being a team, a city that really embraces that team when it's doing well. And that's why, like, like, yeah, you know, like if you know me and Joe, we're Sox fans here in Chicago, but I, you know, I definitely always observe the Cubs and everything, and it's like you know I was really worried about them getting into a similar, starting a similar cycle that they couldn't get out of. What, what, what you know, given what they did in the summer, so really seeing what they did, what they've done before the lockout is is pretty encouraging to me that they have gotten back to spending like a big team big market team like they should. And, you know, we, we kind of hope that the Sox would get into that a little bit as well, you know, going yeah. forward. But, but you know, as it is, there's still got a lot of talent that we built up. And, um, you know, yeah. So I, I just want to see teams, you know, act like they're big, especially the big market teams, act like they're big market teams and give an effort and yeah, compete. And, you know, if however they got to get through that, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, as a uh, CBA, have a fix in the CBA or whatever, how they do that. You know, I'm definitely uh, pro players on that side as well. So we've I've seen teams to- like the Red Sox, the other Sox team, uh, they've yeah. gutted some good teams that they had as well, even after winning World Series. But in baseball, it's like five to seven year rebuilds, which are very long. And, you know, you got to ask a lot of your fan base to have that type of sure. patience, and especially if it doesn't mm-hmm. work out in the end. But, and I know you guys have seen it with the White Sox. The White Sox weren't in the playoffs for a number of years, and now mm-hmm. they have you know very ta- they built up their farm system. They spend a little money, and they have some very talented players. And um, I know they won the Central this year, and uh, you know obviously disappointing finish in the playoffs. But seems like they have a team that could probably you know be a sustainable winner. But the Red Sox you know gutted some of their teams, but then they've always because you know they're big market and they do spend the money. They kind of always have been able to. Uh, kind of regroup and and get back to winning. They only had about like a what a two year dip, and then they yeah. were back in the series a couple of years ago when they won. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so so here's my question: So the players kind of want the 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 minimum salary floor. 
what are the art you know what do do you have any idea what what the the negotiation would be for the owners in return for the players to to, to give up you know because it has to be some kind of give and take yeah the the owners want at, at least from their side from what i've heard the owners want to do 14 teams in the playoffs which i don't love because you know, that's almost half the teams in the league making the playoffs. Um, the owners aren't in love with the earlier arbitration start. The players are talking about, you know, 29 and a half years old. You could be a free agent if you haven't hit your seven years of service time. Uh, you look like a, you look at a player like Aaron Judge, who he's going into his age 30 season. By the time he's a free agent, he's going to be about to be turning 31. The Yankees are probably going to try and work out an extension with him in spring training once the lockout's over regardless. But, you know, you feel for some of the players who – you know, who don't get that shot because, you know, whether they get injured in the minors or they're slower developers and, you know, they come up and then they don't become free agents till their early thirties, it kills their value and their, you know, mm. their chance of getting that big contract, uh, you know, that life changing contract. So um, yeah, I mean, give and take, if the owners do give them the price floor, um, it, I, I think maybe they wouldn't want to raise the luxury tax as much as maybe the players want. I mean, the players, that's another thing they've been pushing for the luxury tax to go up above 210 million and the owners wouldn't even go further than 220 million only raising it by 10 million. So um, yeah, I, I imagine that's probably something it would be minimal gain, uh, you know, of the luxury tax. If there was a price floor instilled, then I don't think the owners want that obviously, because again, most of these teams don't want to spend and compete year in and year out. Um, that's why Steve Cohen, Steve Cohen operating like George Steinbrenner is uh, kind of a breath of fresh air to see, the Mets kind of putting all their cards down on the table and spending whatever it takes to win while, while also not, you know, selling the farm and sacrificing their long-term world series odds for short-term gain. That's a big emphasis that Billy Epler's put on, uh, you know, the team's strategy and direction since he was hired. That's, he said that basically word for word, you know, to us, to, to all the reporters on my beat um, that that's also something that they have to keep in mind. And it's something that they should keep in mind. I mean, they're pretty, they don't really have a farm system right now. They need to build it up, but they do have some, you know, some prospects, uh, you know, rising through the ranks might be ready in the next year or two who look like they could be stars. So it's an exciting time. And the Mets are about to have six top 100 picks because of the two compensated comes. I don't know why I can't say it. The draft picks that you, that you get for your players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the QO, obviously, uh, Syndergaard left for a higher offer and, um, Michael Conforto is going to leave for another team too. So the Mets are ready to get two second round picks next year. And uh, yeah, they're going to have basically six premium picks in the top 100. And that's, that's another way to kind of build up the farm system, which they so desperately need to do. Yeah. I'll say right quick. Conforto might be a person who may be on the Sox radar as well as an outfielder. So yeah, that, that'd be interesting. What, what's, what do you like about uh, him as a player? Michael Conforto came up in 2015. He was a first-round pick in 2014 out of Oregon State. Um, you know, right away he made an impact to the Mets. And obviously they went out and they traded for Johannes Cespedes. They already had Curtis Granderson. Um, you know, they had some good players, Daniel Murphy. But Michael Conforto was a good addition to that team. He hit two World Series home runs as a rookie in the same game. He was like one of, uh, you know, maybe five players to ever do that. He was the youngest player to ever do it, I think, since Andrew Jones in 1996. Um, but yeah, Conforto had a nice career with the Mets, but he never truly became that superstar next level type player franchise cornerstone that they were hoping he'd be. Um, now he had a really down year last year, as did the rest of the lineup minus Pete Alonso. 
So I do think Conforto will go somewhere and probably have success, uh, you know, especially with good coaching and, and a different set of eyes on him. But he's got a very nice swing. He's a really good outfielder, honestly, borderline gold glove corner outfielder. Um, you know, he's got decent speed. He's a very good hitter. Um, you know, the one knock in his career, and I'm not going to knock him too much about this, but the fans definitely kill him about it is sometimes he goes in these cold spells, which most players in the league do. And, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it seems like he, his slumps maybe last a little longer than the average player. Um, I can specific example I can make of that obviously last season, but in 2019, the Mets got back in the playoff race down the stretch. And in, in uh, late August, early September, Michael Conforto hit, hit a cold spell for a good period of time when they really needed his bat. And uh, unfortunately, he just his timing was off. His mechanics were off. He just wasn't he wasn't the Michael Conforto that we were used to. But at the same time, we've seen his ceiling. He, he hit 33 home runs in 2019, drove in, uh, you know, over 80 RBIs. Um, I think he'd be a great addition for the White Sox, maybe the Mariners, the Phillies. Um, you know, teams like that. I mean, specifically in Citizens Bank Park where the, where the home run balls fly out of the stadium. But, uh, yeah, I think Michael Conforto is a very nice player. I'm not sure what he's going to get in free agency. But, um, yeah, I think he'd be a good addition to any team's lineup. And uh, I would definitely count on him, you know, to have a bounce back year and uh, go on to really have a nice, solid career, even if he doesn't become that superstar that, you know, the Mets were hoping he'd be when they drafted him. Well, before we wrap up, I want to get I want to touch on that playoff expansion one more time. What do you think are the odds that there will be that full scale expansion? And what exactly do you see the playoffs looking like uh, after this uh, lockout? I don't know about the odds. Um, I know the owners want it. But I mean, if there is a playoff expansion, ideally, it'd be the 12 teams just adding another playoff team in each league which is what the players want. And I think that's, you know, that, that keeps it more competitive and uh, you know, we're not going to have teams of losing records or 500 records, make the playoffs. Uh, you know, if, if there is, I mean, maybe some years, if there's 12 teams, but 14 teams, it would obviously be more common. Um, we saw it even in the shortened season where, you know, playoffs were expanded a great deal. And uh, yeah, some lesser teams kind of made the postseason. So mm-hmm. postseason baseball always has been like one of the toughest, you know, to crack in, in professional sports. And uh, I think it should remain that way. Um, you know, it's definitely with what a grind and roller coaster and marathon each baseball season is with 162 game schedule. The playoffs should, is definitely something that, uh, you know, shouldn't be made easier, I should say, for the teams. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think if there is an expansion, it should it should be 12 teams and no more. It makes sense that the owners will want more, though, because yeah. you have more teams. You see it with the NFL. Uh, more teams in the playoffs means more teams that are interested in getting in the playoff hunt going uh, throughout the, the course of the regular season. And you get more games on your, your TV, uh, your TV deal and everything, more revenue, more, uh, more revenue into the stadiums and stuff. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, Pat, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. You you're great, man. You're uh, you know, good to talk to, man. And, uh, you know, uh, we just connected last week online, so uh, yep. it's always great to have a guy who is uh, that accessible. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, when I'm booking shows, you know, it's a lot of times it's hard to get to people, but you were you were pretty accessible, man. And you, you know, great to talk baseball with. I'd love to get you back on uh, when everything is settled and and they're playing ball next year. Of course, yeah, no, and uh, I'd love to come on again. I can't thank you guys enough for having me, and. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was great talking baseball with you. And let's hope that this lockout doesn't last too too long. Hopefully it doesn't cut into spring training, but we'll see.
Yeah. Yeah, let people know how to follow you and uh, read your uh, work and everything. Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Ragazzo Report. It's R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O Report. And my site is si.com slash MLB slash Mets. Uh, it's titled Inside the Mets for Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation. So definitely check it out, uh, you know, if you're interested and if you like to read about the Mets, because there's definitely plenty of uh, Mets content on my site, to say yeah. the least. Definitely, definitely. That's the have man you, right Have there. you met Jerry Seinfeld? I haven't met Jerry yet. If he's around the ballpark, I, hope, I, I did not see him around the park last season. If he's around the ballpark this season, I'll, I'll try and go up to him and talk. I know, to him. I know that he calls into a radio shit as, as Jerry from the what? What's the what's the, what's, what's his tag nine? Jerry from the from Queens or something like that? Probably. He's always calling to Steve Summers, who just retired yeah. from WFAN. He was like a big fan of him. Um, but yeah, Jerry's been a diehard Mets fan forever, and uh, yeah, I, I imagine he'll be at the park at some point next season. So hopefully, okay. I get get a little run in with him and, and get to talk to him. I honestly, I feel like I'd be starstruck. <laughs> but I guess we'll see how that would goes. You, would you be more starstruck if you saw Seinfeld or if you saw one of the Sopranos? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, at least with the Sopranos, I have a little icebreaker because I know their head stuntman from the show because I grew up with his sons. So I guess in a, in a way, it's kind of I'd know what I'd say if I ran into one of the Sopranos cast yeah. members. Exactly. It's a little easier. <laughs> Seinfeld, I don't, I'm not sure what I'd say, but uh yeah i i think maybe it'd be a little more intimidating but uh hopefully i get that opportunity well south i always remember I, I think it was kesha somebody had met him and was like oh can i get a hug and he's like no <laughs> like, so i would hate to, i would hate for you to be in a situation like that where you're trying to be friendly with Seinfeld. he just was like not feeling you so I think that's happened to a few people, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'd take my chances with him just because he's Jerry Seinfeld. He's an icon. Sure. Why not? Why not? Well, Pat, man, we had a good time with you, man. And like I said, Likewise. we definitely uh, be glad to have you back. Enjoy the rest of your evening, man. And uh, you know, good luck with, uh, uh, like I say, on that Mets beat. Thank you. Take care, guys. Uh, have a great night. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank All you right, for coming. Man, you too. Joe, man, that was a pretty good one, man. He's a, it was. He's a good yeah. dude. Yeah, and you got anything else, man? We gonna wrap it up. I know you. I, I know the kids out there trying to break in on you. Yeah, they're trying to break into the room, and, and I know. You, I know you had to mute my microphone. That was them trying to break in to see what I was doing. But uh, uh, they seem pretty uh, satisfied right now. So I might just go ahead and ease on into to bed. <laughs> I hear you, bro. I, like I said, thanks for riding with me, man. And uh, it was a pretty good show, and uh, definitely. Uh, We'll look, we'll get back up together soon, man. I think I might do something before the game on Sunday, so maybe we can get back together. No uh, doubt, no doubt. That. All right, that's Joe Taxi right there. Follow him on Twitter and IG, as you see right there, Batman Taxi, uh, helping out with the coverage for War Media with the Bears and and the, and the NFL, and of course he co-founded all this as well. So you know, we always give him his props for the role that he's played in establishing what we do here. So, uh, man, we, like I said, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, bro. I'm going to enjoy the rest of mine. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, I'll be back tomorrow with Drew and, uh, you know, some some other guests. Should have my man Dave on as well. Yeah, so we'll, you know, chop it up some more on uh, going up on the Tuesday, as it were, with uh, number <laughs> like me. So that's it for now, y'all. Like I said, enjoy y'all week. Uh, hope y'all can get back with me tomorrow. And uh, till then, you know, we'll holler at you. Peace.